0: This morning, we're going to keep on keeping on in Hebrews. Yeah? Anybody excited about the word this morning? Yeah? Come on, I need a little bit more excitement about the word. Yeah. Come on. Like, like if there's one thing, right? If there's one thing that's worth getting out of bed for in the morning, it's to hear God speak to us. Yeah? So like, I don't know about you, but there's a lot of stuff I don't want to get up for. My kids wake me up, I pretend I'm asleep. My wife pushes me, right? I pretend that I'm asleep, right? There's a lot of stuff I'll try. But man, if I know God's got something to say to me, that's worth getting up for, yeah? Okay. So I'm going to ask you, if you can, would you stand with me? I'm going to pray for us this morning. And we're just going to ask the Lord to minister to us, to speak to us through His Word. The Bible says that that the Word of God is a lamp to our feet and a light to our path, yeah? Does anybody need any direction this morning? Does anybody need to know which way to go this morning? Well, God's Word is a lamp. God's Word is is revelation as to not just who He is, but who we are and where God would have us to go. So we're going to pray. We're going to just invite the Lord to speak to us in His Word. And I want to ask you, I'm going to invite you to ask the Lord to speak to you specifically okay because here's what I know to be true that God doesn't just have something to say to somebody God has something to say to everybody okay All right, let's pray. Father, thank you for this morning. God, thank you for your love for us. God, thank you for your grace and your goodness. God, thank you for your faithfulness to us. God, thank you that when we gather, Lord, you always come and gather with us. God, that you are present. You are here right now. God, ready to move, ready to minister, wanting to speak to us. And God, we thank you this morning for your word, that it is living and active. God, that it always accomplishes its purposes. And God, right now, right here this morning, Father, you just ask that you would speak and that God you would give us ears to hear from you. God we need to hear from you more than we need to hear anything else this morning. God we need a word spoken to our hearts. God we need revelation from your spirit. Would you just ask him Lord just speak to me this morning. God would you just speak to me this morning. Just ask him. Just tell him God I want to hear from you. Father, I pray that every heart in this room would be open to you. God, I pray against any distraction, God, anything that would seek to get in the way of us encountering you and your word. God, I thank you that it's no mistake that every single one of us is here right now. God, you saw this day long before we ever got here because you have something for us. And God, I pray that every single one of us would grab hold of it. Father, we give you this time. It's yours. It's yours. God, have your way in and through your word. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 If you have your Bible this morning, open it up to the book of Hebrews chapter 7. Hebrews chapter 7. We're going to pick up where we left off the last time we were together. And that is in starting in verse 23 um, through the end of the chapter. Just six verses that we're going to be uh, looking at together. And... Um, for those of you who haven't been with us or or you've missed it, I want I want to just give you a, a little bit of context and remind you of where we've been so far in Hebrews chapter 7, being that this is our third message in just this one chapter. If if you remember, our our author here in Hebrews 7 has been teaching us about how Jesus is our great high priest, how he is a a better priest with a better priesthood than any other priest or priesthood that has ever been or could ever be. And and as we talked about that before, we acknowledge the fact that when it comes to this idea of a priest and a priesthood, particularly a high priest, that idea is relatively foreign to us most of us don't know anything about what that's like and so sometimes we we read these passages that refer to the old testament and we're just sort of like okay cool yeah whatever and and move on but 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 remember i mean if you and i were right now to jump in a delorean head back in time right ancient israel and we just got landed there it would take you all of five minutes to realize that the most important person in the land was the high priest even more so than the king. First of all, you could tell he was the most important person just by how he looked. Okay, I think I got a picture of him. Um, If we do throw, yeah, that's him. Okay, like no one looked like that guy. He he was the only one. He had this magnificent turban on his head. He wore these colorful robes made of of purple and and crimson and all. And he had this breastplate that that covered his chest gold. And it was covered with twelve precious stones all inscribed with one of the names of the tribes of Israel. And this man and only this man could enter into the most holy place of God. Into the, 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 the holy of holies where the presence of God presence of God. God himself, his presence, dwell. This man and this man alone could go in there and only one time a year uh, to go and make sacrifice for his own sins and for the sins of the people and to represent all of the people before God. Just this guy. The high priest, you could say, was the man. He was the most important person. Not only because he was able to deal with sin that separated us from God, but he was able to enter into the presence of God he was able to stand in a place where God was with man. What the author of hebrews then is is telling the 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 early Hebrew Christians who would have been so familiar with this, and all of us, is like, hey, I know you guys understand this high priest, and yeah, he's great, and God established the priesthood, and all that kind of stuff, but what I need you to know is that this Jesus, this Jesus is so much better than him. This Jesus and his priesthood is so far beyond that high priest and his priesthood. And, and, and what I want you to know is, is that, that he's not just like a little bit better. He's not just like a little bit greater. Like, like he is everything better and greater and higher and more than them. And, and, and so, even in speaking about this stuff, this would have sort of been kind of a, almost a scandalous kind of thing to say. This would have just been like mind blowing revelation like, whoa, the high priest, Jesus is greater. And this is the case that he's been building. He's been going all along and saying, Jesus is better, he's, been, he's better, he's better, he's greater. He's greater than Aaron, he's greater than, than Moses, he's greater than Melchizedek even, this, this sort of priest king, he's, just, he's greater, he's better, and he's been building this case. And this is where we pick up in Hebrews 7, verse 23. And it says this, it says, The former priests were many in number because they were prevented by death from continuing in office. But he, being Jesus, holds his priesthood permanently because he continues forever. Consequently, he is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him since he always lives to make intercession for them. For it was indeed fitting that we should have such a high priest, holy, innocent, unstained, separated from sinners and exalted above the heavens. He has no need like those high priests to offer sacrifices daily, first for his own sins and then for those of the people, since he did this once for all when he offered up himself. For the law appoints men in their weakness as high priests, but the word of the oath, which came later than the law, appoints a son who has been made perfect forever now now if you can't tell here the author of hebrews is really wanting us to see and understand the greatness of jesus and his ministry to us and for us far above anything or anyone else and so that ultimately our hope and our confidence and our trust would be in him and in him alone how many of you guys know this morning that that every person who has ever lived who is living right now and who ever will live is a worshiper That that, that everyone worships. Okay, everybody has someone or something that they put their hope and trust in. There was a professor... um, he was a, an author. His name was David Foster Wallace. He actually went to my alma mater, Illinois State, and, and was a professor there for some years. But, but he gave this commencement speech in 2005 at Kenyon College uh, a few years actually before he committed suicide. And he battled with depression and, and substance abuse. And, and, and he was a guy who, who like had church background but fought all these kinds of things. But this is the speech. I just want to share with you a part of the speech that he gave um, to these kids. And here's what he said. He said, everybody worships. The only choice we get is what to worship. And an outstanding reason for choosing some God or spirit type thing to worship is that pretty much anything else you worship will eat you alive. If you worship money and things, if they are what you tap real meaning in life, where you tap real meaning in life, then you will never have enough, never feel you have enough. It's the truth. Worship your own body and beauty and sexual allure and you'll always feel ugly and when time and age start showing, you'll die a million deaths before they finally plant you. Worship power and you'll feel weak and afraid and you'll need ever more power over others to keep fear at bay. Worship your intellect and being seen as smart and you'll end up feeling stupid, a fraud, always on the verge of being found out and so on. The insidious thing about these forms of worship is they're unconscious. They are a default setting. Every person is a worshiper. Every single one of you here is a worshiper. You trust in, hope in, find security in someone or something. Something that gives purpose and meaning to your life. Something that validates you. Something that makes you feel secure. Every single person does that. The question is, who or what do we do that with? Who or what is that thing that we worship? Now... Now, in all of Hebrews, from the very beginning, what the writer of Hebrews has done from chapter one is he has been aiming at, taking aim at all the people and places and systems that we tend to find and put our hope in. And he's just been knocking them down one by one. He's like angels? Nope. Moses? Nope. Abraham? Nope. Uh, the, uh, the heavens and, and all the, the working of heaven? Nope. It's not the system. The priesthood? Nope. High priest? Nope. It's none of these places, it's none of these things. A common place for people to put their hope and in their trust back then and today is in religion and religious leaders. The writer of Hebrews is saying, don't do that. Don't put your hope there. Don't put your hope in a pope or a priest or a pastor or your mentor, or that book writer you like so much or that podcast speaker. Don't, don't, don't put your hope there because none of them will ever do for you what Christ alone can do. I, I, I can't tell you how many people I've encountered in my life as I've walked in ministry who have walked away from faith and the family of God because of an experience or, or encountering a, a Christian leader that failed them. It, it, it happens all, all the time, okay? Uh, I, I, I'll tell you this morning, I love my church, okay? I, I, I say this a lot. I love you guys. I'm going to let you down, okay? So like, uh, let's get that out of the way early. So in case you were coming and you're like, man, I hope he's perfect. Newsflash, no, okay? <laughs> and if you're wondering, just ask my wife. Ask my kids, you know what I'm saying? They'll tell you, right? Uh, and, and it's not because I want to fail you right? It's not even because I want It's just because I'm not perfect. I, I'm not the one. I'm not Neo, right? I, I, I'm, not, I'm not the one, okay? And, and, and ultimately, the same Jesus that you need is the Jesus that I need, okay? I, I don't need less of Jesus than you need. I need him as much as you need him. And so, ultimately, he's the only one worthy of your trust. He's the only one who knows exactly what it is that you need, how you need it, when you need it. He, he's the only one, and he's the only one who can meet that need fully. Some of us are quick to run to other people first before we ever run to God. Some of us are quick to run to other books and rather than open up God's word and let him speak his own word to us. What what I'm saying this morning is not that we shouldn't have good leaders and that we shouldn't have people that we come to, right, or that we go to or people that we seek counsel from or even people we receive from. What what the author of Hebrews is trying to teach us and tell us, what I tell you this morning is that don't let anyone else take the place of Jesus himself. Don't don't allow your hope and confidence and trust to be in any other person because at the end of the day, I don't care how good they are, they're going to let you down. They're going to let you down. They're going to fail you, right? Who's been, who, who's been married for more than five seconds in this room? Yep. Raise your hand if your spouse has never failed you. Man, it's crazy, right? I mean, how, how could this person who loves us so much fail us, right? Like, I could wake up every day and be like, man, God, I'm just going to love my wife today. I'm just going to bless her and serve her. And by the end of the day, I'm like, what happened? You know? We're not perfect, not even because we don't want to be. Not because we're trying not to get it right. But we're not the one. And so I can't put my hope or my trust in my spouse who loves me so much. I can't put my hope or trust in a pastor, in a leader. Our hope has to be in Jesus because he's altogether better. He is the only one, as Hebrews 7 tells us, who is fitting for our soul. Look at verse 26. It says, for it was indeed fitting. Everybody say fitting. It was indeed fitting that we should have such a high priest. Jesus is fitting for us. Okay. We, we, we use that kind of language when we see somebody who who like gets a new haircut or who's wearing like a new outfit or maybe they got a certain kind of car or, or they're entering into a certain career. We go like oh that fits you. Don't we? Like we're just like oh man. That, and what do we mean? We're like yeah that, that just works for you. That just that's good on you. Right. We say that kind of thing. How many of you guys have ever tried to walk in shoes that don't fit? Yeah? Like, if they're too small, it's super painful. And if they're too big, you just don't get far. Right? Because like I see that my, kid, my twins love to put on everyone else's shoes. But, but it's always a tragedy because they're always too big. And five steps in, they're on their face again. Because they're just falling off and they're falling down. It doesn't work. It doesn't fit. And, and what the author of Hebrews is saying to us is that in the same way that, that, that there are things that sort of fit us physically, that when it comes to our soul, when it comes to our heart, there's only one thing, one person that really fits us, and that's Jesus. Some of us do the same thing with our soul that my twins do with shoes. We keep trying to put all kinds of wrong things on our soul and wondering why it turns out painful and we don't get too far. Only Jesus is fitting for your soul because only Jesus is... Perfectly sufficient and adequate for all the deepest longings of your heart for all the great desires And only he is the one who can fill you with that love and the joy and the peace and the purpose and the security that your heart longs for Only he can give you what you truly need for life now and for eternal life forever Nothing else is going to fit nothing else is going to work everything else is going to let you down except for him. Listen listen to what the Lord himself says through the prophet Jeremiah in in Jeremiah 17, 5 through 8. He says, This is what the Lord said. Cursed is the one who trusts in man. How about that? Cursed is the one who trusts in man, who draws strength from mere flesh and whose heart turns away from the Lord. That person will be like a bush in the wasteland. They will not see prosperity when it comes. They will dwell in parched places of the desert, in a salt land where no one lives. But blessed is the one who trusts in the Lord whose confidence is in him. They will be like a tree planted by the water that sends out its roots by the stream. It does not fear when heat comes. Its leaves are always green. It has no worries in a year of drought and never fails to bear fruit. God says through the Old Testament the same thing that the Holy Spirit is speaking through the writer of Hebrews chapter 7. That the difference between ultimately blessing and cursing in your life. The difference between peace and worry. The difference between empty and full is contingent upon where you place your trust. And so the call to us is to put it all on Jesus. All our hope, all our confidence, all our trust. Now, now the question is, well, why is Jesus the one then? Why, why, why is Jesus the, the only one who's fitting? Why is Jesus so superior to these great high priests who came before him? And some of these guys were incredible men of God. Why, why is he better? Well, in, in verses 26 through 28, uh, he, he lays out for us these, these seven reasons for why Jesus is better. I like that because in in the Bible, if you're sort of a Bible Bible numerology person, seven being this number of completion, seven seven reasons for why Jesus is better. I'm going to go through these. If you have your notes, you can write these down. Um, Here's the first one he says, that Jesus is holy. He says, it's fitting that we should have such a great high priest who is holy, right? In the Old Testament, the only high priest who was fit to come into the presence of God was a holy one, only his holiness was not his own. It was, he had to, as verse 27 tells us, he had to offer first sacrifices for his own sin and then for the people in order for him to come into the presence of God. And that only he could do one time a year for a little bit of time. And as soon as he was done, he got out of there quick. So so the priest was never holy because of his own holiness, but Jesus is. Even the angel who proclaimed Jesus' birth in in Luke one thirty five calls him the holy one who's being sent. And, and, and usually there, there's a Greek word that's used um, for holy that, that, that tends to mean that, to be separated unto God, which, which that's part of it. But there's this other side to that, that as well that has to do with just his, his outright purity. Like there is just nothing against him. Jesus doesn't have to have to offer a sacrifice to be made right before God. Jesus is God and he just comes right into his presence. Why is Jesus better? Cuz he's holy and no one else is. Then he goes from there and he says he says, "Well, he's not just holy, but he's innocent." Jesus is, is innocent. Jesus never did anything wrong. They accused him of wrong, but, but Jesus never did anything wrong. Jesus only did what the Father did and said what the Father was, was saying. H- how many of you guys know this morning that you can do the right thing with the wrong heart? Yeah? Like, like, you can actually do something that's good and right, but in your mind and in your heart, you are cursing all along the way. Yeah? I would bet most of us in this room have done that at some point. Right? You know? You know? I mean, I, I, for me, that happens, okay? I'll be doing something. Babe, can you help with the dishes? And I'm like, yeah. And then in my mind, I'm like, help with the you know, I'm just talking the whole way there. I, it was, Jesus didn't just do what was right. Jesus, all of his motives, all of his thoughts, all of his intentions were right and true and innocent. Another way that this word gets translated is harmless. Jesus never did harm to anyone. When you think about the holiness of Jesus, that had to do with his, his positioning before God. But, but Jesus being innocent has to do with how Jesus is towards men. And Jesus is harmless. Jesus never causes harm. Jesus never hurts. Jesus never lies to you. Jesus never betrays you. Jesus will never fail you. Everything that Jesus does all the time is ultimately for your very best good. Name one other person in your life like that. Here's the third thing he says, right? He he says that Jesus is unstained. That's not a word we tend to use very often, but, but that... That word means that he's without blemish, he's, he's without defilement. That, that If you think about it, it's crazy because Jesus was a man who walked the earth for 33 years. He was around all the same stuff that we're around. He was being touched by all the same stuff that we get touched by. Hearing all the same kinds of messages, dealing with all the same kinds of temptations. Only that when Jesus walked, wherever he went into, he changed the place he went, he wasn't changed by it. Okay, so when Jesus came and he encountered a leper, he didn't get sick, the leper got healed. When when Jesus showed up, right, if Jesus showed up and there were demons, it's not like the demons got Jesus, the demons got out of where they were. Okay, when Jesus showed up and there was death, it wasn't that somebody, somebody was coming back to life. Okay, death died when Jesus showed up. Wherever Jesus, so Jesus was never touched by the things that stain us. Most of us tend to go, God, you know, like, so whatever, you know. What, what does that have to do with us, right? What, 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 how do I reconcile that? What I, it, and what I think is important for us is that, that I don't think that, and I don't believe that, that, that every way that by which Jesus walked was a result of his divine nature, but, but was actually a movement, a way by which he walked with God in, in closeness. And I want to show you something in, in, in John chapter 3, verse 34 and 35. And this is Jesus, says that, For the one whom God has sent speaks the words of God. For God gives the Spirit without limit. The Father loves the Son and has placed everything in his hands. It, it, to, to simplify that, that Jesus is saying that, that God sent him and, and that he, Jesus is just always faithfully and consistently saying and doing what the Father wants him to, um, not because he's so good, but because of the Spirit that God gives without limit. Okay? That, that, that God, when he gives the Spirit, that he doesn't give the, the Spirit to a small degree. He gives him without measure. Uh, this is something that we could talk about probably all day, but in Luke chapter four, verse one, when it tells us that Jesus was led by the spirit in the wilderness to be, be tempted by the devil, it says that he was full of the spirit. And that Greek phrase there for full of the spirit is the exact same phrase that is used when it speaks about the disciples in, in the upper room, the men and women of Acts whom receive the Holy Spirit that are filled with the Holy Spirit. And, and so when Jesus died and he rose again and he appears to his disciples in the upper room, the first word that he says to them is peace be unto you as the Father has sent me so now I send you and it says that and he breathes on them and says receive the Holy Spirit and it's the same language same language the same spirit that's why scripture says who raised Christ from the dead dwells in us this same spirit who gives without measure Okay, I'm going to keep going. I'll stay there for a while. Here's the fourth thing. Jesus is separate from sinners. Now, this isn't saying that Jesus doesn't be with sinful people. If that were true, like the Bible would never have existed. Okay, Jesus, Jesus could not show up on earth and not be with sinful people. So this isn't like, hey, Jesus suffered from sinners. If you're a sinner, get away from me. That, that's not ultimately what we're saying. What, what it's saying to us is that Jesus, though he came to earth in the flesh, is unlike anyone else. Jesus is not of the exact same kind of us. He is altogether different, okay? Jesus wasn't just born of flesh. He was born of the Spirit of God. He is from heaven. And so really what the the author is saying to us is you cannot just regard him as just another man. He's not just another person who showed up. He's not just a great teacher. He's not just a good guy. And that's really where he goes next with the fifth one, that Jesus is exalted above the heavens is what he says. He's like, listen, this isn't just some guy who showed up who we're kind of saying, no, 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 you should put your trust in him. Trust me, he's better than the other guys, right? Like, oh, he died? No, no. Jesus is all, he's not even like them. In fact, he's above this place. He's not just a man, he's a king. And not just a king, but the king of kings and the Lord of lords who the Bible says that before him every knee in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue will confess that jesus is lord to the glory of god every single that's who jesus is he's exalted above the heavens jesus is to be worshiped and praised and adored and exalted to the the highest place that even the heavens are beneath jesus every single thing is under him that says something about jesus He's above the earth in its fallenness and brokenness. Which really is to say that when you consider this Jesus, that Jesus has every single bit of authority for everything beneath him. And guess what's beneath him? Everything. Everything. Here's the sixth one. Jesus is the perfect sacrifice. Look at verse 27. It says, He, that's Jesus, has no need like those high priests to offer sacrifices daily, first for his own sins and then for those of the people since he did this once for all when he offered up himself. Jesus does not have to offer up any sacrifices for sin because he didn't have any. Every priest, whoever has come before or whoever would, would need to offer up sacrifice for their own sin. But instead, Jesus comes and he offers up himself as the sacrifice for our sin. So much so, so good is the sacrifice of Jesus that no other sacrifice is ever needed. This was a once and for all sacrifice. It never needs to be repeated again. It will never happen again. Jesus' sacrifice paid for every sin in the past, for every sin happening now, for every sin that will ever be in the future. So there is nothing that is left for any single person, including you and me, to do when it comes to sin. It's done, okay? Okay? There's nothing for you to earn. There is nothing for you to bring, okay? You you don't bring anything. You just receive what was given for you. So you come not with your own sacrifice, but standing upon the finished work of Christ and His sacrifice. I I, I said this before. I'll keep saying it that that in every religion, other religion that's out there, and in, in all these self kind of help books and and and, and the stuff that you read, that the philosophies that are out there, the message that is to you is that if you just do these things, if you'll just do these things, then you'll have this. If you just do these things, then you can attain this. If you'll just do these things, your life will work and make sense. And Christianity is the only place, Christ is the only one who comes to you and does not say do. He says done. Christianity is the only place where it says it's done. There isn't anything else for you to do except to receive and to walk in what I've given you. It's done, I paid for it all. There's no sin then that's too great to keep you from him and no work of your own so great as to get you to him. It's already done. Now now one other thing that I want to point out about this verse because um, there's this crazy um, sort of, accusation against God that comes from a lot of different spaces um, uh, in our culture today that, that, that views God and, and, and sort of paints God as this cosmic child abuser. How could such a loving father put his son on a cross, right? What kind of loving father could do that? I mean, that if he really loved his son, he wouldn't have had to go. What, what, is, what does this verse say to us? It says that when Jesus, what, offered up himself, right, Je- Jesus offered up himself unto death on the cross. That's something that Jesus did willingly and lovingly. His life was his own to give and he offered it up for us. God didn't make him. Jesus said, let me, God, the triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit look down on the condition of mankind in perfect covenant and love and unity and the Son looks at the, the, the Father and the Spirit and says, Father, I love them and they're never going to be able to come to us. They're never going to be able to be with us without a sacrifice and I will offer up myself for them and the father looks at the son and he says i love you son and i love them and so i out of my love will let you go and i will give up my son unto death on a cross for their sake and the holy spirit says yeah 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 and i'll go and i'll reveal that truth to them i will show them i will teach them about this life that you gave i will reveal to them the power of this resurrection and this sacrifice made and empower them to live the life then that you came to give them Jesus is the perfect sacrifice. Yeah. Here's the seventh thing. Jesus is forever. Look at verse 28. For the law appoints men in their weakness as high priests, but the word of the oath which came later than the law appoints a son who has been made perfect forever. Verse 23 tells us that the problem with the old priests was that they died. That 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 was their serious flaw. I mean, never mind all the the moral issues or failings that they have. At the end of the day, they weren't going to keep living Jesus is forever, okay? That's what verse 24 says. says, But he holds his priesthood permanently because he continues forever. Jesus lives forever, so his priestly ministry never ends, which means that the forgiveness for your sin is eternal because he is. The forgiveness for your sin doesn't have an expiration date because Jesus doesn't. And Jesus is your representative before God Forever. Son of God, a priest forever. He'll never be replaced. He'll continue to serve you. He'll continue to meet every single one of your needs, not just for a moment, not just for a season, but forever. And it's because of him. It's because of who he is. It's because he is altogether different. It's because there is no one like him. No one that is a high priest greater. No one above him. He is above all things. Okay, it's because of all of that, that not only is Jesus a better high priest, but his ministry, his priestly ministry, his priesthood is better than any other. Go back to verse 25 with me. And it says this, it says, Consequently, he is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him since he always lives to make intercession for them. Because of Jesus and who he is, he is able to do for you and for me what no one else could possibly ever do for us. No leader, however great, no love of ours, however much they want to be us and, and want to be with us and love us and care for us, no one will ever do for us what Christ does. It was Jesus and Jesus alone it's only him who's able to save you from sin that separates you from God and restore you to relationship with him and and, and notice here that that he tells us first that Jesus is able he says that that he is able to save you to the uttermost he's able okay other priests were willing but they weren't able O- only Jesus is able. And actually that word able right there is that, that Greek word dunamis which we get our word dynamite for, for uh, from. It means power, right? Like like Jesus isn't just able. He has all the power that is necessary to do this thing that no one else can do. Jesus is dynamite. Jesus will blow up all the stuff that seems to get in your way. Whatever that chain is in your life, whatever that bondage is, Jesus is dynamite. And Jesus will come in there and he'll blow it up. Whatever prison you feel like you're in, However fortified, Jesus is dynamite. He'll blow it up. Nothing can come, nothing can stand, nothing can keep you from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. Nothing can stop you from experiencing the salvation and wholeness and freedom that only Christ can give. And he's not just willing to save you, but he's able. He's able. Notice that it says that he's able to save you to the uttermost. I love that. To to, to the uttermost. It, what does that mean? Well, that means like all the way, okay? Like, like you didn't just get a little bit saved. He, he didn't just save you for a little bit. He didn't just save you from a couple of things. There's not just like a spectrum and it's like, hey, what did you get? I think I got maybe 50% saved. You know what I'm saying? Well, I think I was more like 70. No, no. Jesus' salvation is whole. It's complete. And if you remember, uh, when, it comes to the, when it comes to the Old Testament priesthood, that, that one of the things that the Old Testament priests could do was that they could come and stand and make a sacrifice, that they could help to cover sin, but they could do nothing about giving other people access to God. Only Jesus could do that. Only Jesus. Man, I'll tell, you know what's amazing about You can't out-sin the grace of God. You can't out-sin the grace of God in Jesus. Nothing you do can ever be bigger than what he did, okay? Here's a, here's a question. How, how many of you in this room have have ever had sin in your life that you're not proud of? Anybody? Yeah? Okay. So so we're all in the same spot, so welcome to church, okay? So So... So if you ever wonder, this is that this is the reason I ask that because sometimes we show up to church and we're like, man, I don't know. it Seems like everybody's so much better than me. No one's better than you, okay? Every single person here, including me. I love when I show up to Johnny. Will tell you when I come to Wayside. I always tell guys that down there because they're always like, oh, this is a pastor. I got to sit down with him. And I always tell those guys that one of my favorite verses is when Paul says in Timothy, he says that that this is a is a is the saying that, that this is something that, that I'm sure of, that Jesus Christ came to die for sinners of whom I'm the greatest, okay? And, and what I love about that verse is it's true of every single person here in this room. And when it's true that every single one of us is the greatest of sinners, we will never sit with somebody who's better than us and we'll never sit with someone worse. We'll only sit with people who are in need of the same grace of Jesus that we are. But here's, here's the thing, and, and here's also what the writer is, is getting at. I love this, that, that our salvation is not just about something Jesus did. It's about something he's doing. Okay? What, what is Jesus doing? It tells us in verse 25. It says, and Jesus lives always to make intercession for us. What, what is Jesus doing right now? He's praying for you. Have you ever thought about that? Like Jesus is praying for you. Jesus, right now, is standing in the throne room of heaven before God and bringing up your name. He's saying, Father, be with him. He really needs you in this time. Father, help her. She really has this need. Meet that need, Father. See, see, the reason that you and I are kept saved, that we're, that we're kept, that we can endure, that, that we're kept secure forever is not because we're awesome. It's not because of our works. It's not because of our great willpower. It's not because we just, man, Jesus saved us and then we took the baton and we ran hard and we got to the end. No, no, no. The reason our salvation doesn't run out is because Jesus never does. And Jesus is constantly, always, in the presence of his Father, making intercession, praying for you and for me. And guess what, he already knows what you need. He actually knows what you need better than you do. He, he knows the longing of your heart. He knows the deep desire. He knows that, that that thing that nobody else knows about, he knows about that one too. Jesus is already still praying for you in every space. Salvation, remember, talk about this before. Salvation is not just a moment that happened in our life. It's something happening. Salvation is not a prayer you once prayed. It's a life that you live. And and it's a whole movement from beginning all the way till the end. And the only way that you and I get there all the way to the end is because of Jesus. We never stop needing Jesus. Jesus didn't just do something for you on a cross. He's doing something for you right now, for your own good, for your growth, for your salvation. And, and, And ultimately, what the goal of Jesus is for us is relationship with him. Right. Jesus is a superior high priest. Remember I was saying, because the, the old priests, they, they couldn't bring people into the presence of God, but Jesus does. And so that's why we have that great scene at the cross when Jesus is crucified. And that it says that the veil of the temple, this veil, this covering that separated the presence of God from the people, that it was torn from top to bottom, symbolizing, representing that God, this movement from heaven to earth, where now heaven, the presence of God, being with God, is available not just to that one guy sometime, but to all of us all the time that's the love of God. God loves you so much that he wants you to be with him and that's the invitation of God is for us to come. And so that's why it says here also that he's able to save to the uttermost. Um, he's able to save to the uttermost and he says, those who draw near to God through him right? That's the point. That's the whole of our faith. That's the whole of our Christianity is to draw near to God. Is to come and be with God. Is to be close to Him again and again being welcomed into His presence. Scripture talks about the Spirit of God like this fountain it's a, a, of life where, where we just come and we drink from it again and again and again. We fill up. We encounter. We're drawing near to God in prayer. We're drawing near to God in His Word. We're drawing near to God in our time that we gather together. In Ephesians 3 it talks about how we the church are the dwelling place the place by which god dwells by his spirit so guess what when you show up for church you're not just coming to be able to encounter some cool people you're actually coming because it's here you get to encounter god himself i like you guys i do god's better than you he is And what I love about this passage is that I also I think it tells us something about how Jesus prays for us. I think that 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 Jesus prayer is for us is regularly to to father draw them, is to is to is to continue. Man, bring them close, bring them close, bring them close. Bring them closer. This is where you get sustained. This is where you get filled. This is where life is. Don't stop. Look at this in Luke chapter 22. In, in Luke chapter 22, verse 31, Jesus is getting set to go to the cross and, and he's giving his, saying some, some, some really meaty stuff to his followers and then he looks at Peter and he says this to him. He says, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan demanded to have you that he might sift you like wheat. How many want to hear that from Jesus? You know what I'm saying? Hey, 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 I got some news for you. Uh, Satan has asked for you, and he wants to sift you like weed, you know? <laughs> Hallelujah, right? I'm like, oh, thank you, God. That's, so. Raise your hand if you ever got that word from somebody, you know? But, so, but this, is what, this is what Jesus comes to him with, okay? And he's like, listen, just as there is a Savior for your soul, there's an enemy against your soul, and he wants to have you. He does. He, he wants your life. He wants all of it, okay? He, he wants every bit of you. He wants to wreak havoc. And primarily what he wants is your faith. He, he wants your trust and your confidence and your hope in the love and goodness and truth of, of God in Christ. Now listen to what Jesus says in verse 32. He says, he says, but I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. Now now, this is always interesting to me because I, I, I've read this before and I'm like, man, Jesus, you know it would be better than praying for me. Right? Just now let him do it, you know? Like, like, you're gonna, like that's cool, Jesus. It's kind of like when you have a need, like, man, I, I, can't, you know, I can't pay my mortgage this month, and somebody's like, hey, I'll pray for you. You know what would be better than praying for me, right? <laughs> As if you paid for it. I mean, that would be awesome, you know, right? So, so it's kind of that kind of thing. Like, you're like, Jesus, you're going to pray for me? Like, okay. Well, what happens to Peter then? Peter gets arrested, right? He's before these people who are bringing accusation. And they're saying, hey, 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 I, I, I've seen you. You're, you've are you been with that Jesus. And Peter's like, no, 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 that's not me. I haven't been with Jesus. He denies him. He rejects him. Somebody else, no, I'm pretty sure. You're that guy. I've seen you with I know He's like, nope, not me. You're thinking of somebody else. And everybody they're like, no, I'm sure of it. You are that guy. You, you're that guy who's been with Jesus. You're one of his followers. And Peter's like, blankety blank. No, I haven't, right? Like, he's cursing. I don't know the man. I've had nothing to do with him ever. And just at that moment, the Bible says that the rooster crows and it reminds him of this conversation that he has, right? Did, did Peter fall and did Peter fail? Yeah. But did Peter stay there? No. And why not? Because Jesus was praying for him. Because look what Jesus says at the end of that. He says, and when you have turned again, strengthen your brothers. Jesus doesn't say, Peter, I'm going to pray for you, and if it all works out, right? I'm, I'm praying for you, Peter, and if it works out, then, then I got this other thing for you to do. No, Jesus says, look, I'm praying for you, and because I'm praying for you, when what I know is going to happen happens, go and do this thing. Why, why, is, why can we have confidence that, why can we read that and go, well, when Jesus says he's praying for it, it's good, because Jesus always gets what he asks for. Okay, so, 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 when, so when Jesus is praying for you, it's not a matter of if it's going to happen. It's just a matter of when it's going to happen because Jesus, if Jesus comes to the Father on your behalf or my behalf, the Father always, always gives to the Son what he asks for. Yeah, yeah, so Jesus is praying for you. Yeah. Jesus is praying for you. And when you turn, when you come back, he says, When afterwards, where, where is he going? He's turning back to God, right? It, it isn't the thing that happens in our life that, that something, we fall, we fail, we sin, and our natural sort of inclination is to turn and run from God. But, like the thing that we experience is shame. And what happens when you experience shame, you want to go and hide because you don't want anybody to know, even God himself. And, and what God continues to do, and the writer of Hebrews is saying to us also, is that, that what needs to happen in our life, what the most important thing in our life, is not that we turn and hide from God, but that we turn and run to him. That, that, that's our place. That's the invitation. That veil's been torn, and you've been invited to come all the time, always, without limit. And so there isn't anything standing in the way for you and for me, for being in the presence of God. Jesus is a better high priest. And his ministry for us is better. It's greater. It's full. It's complete. I'm going to have Noel and the team come back up as I close this. How's your faith this morning, church? Hmm. Where's your, where's your trust this morning? Where's your hope? Uh, is there some places in your life this morning where you're just struggling to believe God? Is there some stuff you're experiencing right now in your life that you're just like, man, I just don't know if God's even with me in this? Is, is there some some sin maybe that you've been dealing with that you're just, just been trying to hide and hide away? Where's your trust? Where's your hope? How's your faith? Hear the words of the Lord this morning. Hear the word of God to you this morning from Jesus where Jesus says to you that I'm praying for you that your faith may not fail. I'm praying for you that your faith will not fail. Jesus Christ is praying for you and he's praying for me. He is the only one fitting for your soul and for mine. He's the only one. So, so, so whatever it is this morning, if there's any place in your heart or in your life that you have set up above Christ this morning, this is a great time, a great opportunity as we, as we worship, as we sing, is to just invite the Lord, is to just surrender that to Him. We sang that song before uh, this morning, I Surrender All. That's a great opportunity to just say, God, I just surrender. God, I give to you this place. I give to you this person. I give to you this situation. God, I give to you this circumstance. God, I give to you this hardship. I give to you this struggle. I give to you this sin. God, you're greater. And the only way, the only way that, that you and I are going to experience the fullness of God in our life is for Jesus Christ to be Lord over all would you guys if you can stand with me I'm going to pray for us and we're going to just respond with our worship we're going to respond with our worship because we get to come into the presence of God and so so it's an invitation this morning as well it's an invitation for us to, to, to be able to enter into God's presence God listen to me God wants to be with you God wants you to encounter him. And God wants other people to encounter him through you. We get to come, church. We get to come. We get to presence. Let's draw near to him this morning. Father, I thank you for this time. Father, I thank you for your word. Jesus, I thank you for your work and your ministry. Jesus, I thank you that that even as we come this morning and we offer our songs and we offer our prayers, that you yourself are standing before the Father praying for us. God, I pray, Holy Spirit, that that as this word Penetrates our hearts that, that you would just breathe and blow hope through into every single heart in this room God that we'd be encouraged by your spirit God to know that you are right now at work on our behalf God that we are being lifted up to the, to the throne of God Lord that you are standing an advocate for every single one of us Holy Spirit that you are empowering us with the life of Christ to live this full salvation to live this full freedom and this full wholeness God in you Holy Spirit would you just reveal any places in our heart this morning any places where we fail to trust any places that where we've given up hope would you God as we draw near to you God would you restore to us that joy of our salvation in you, the joy of being with you, that joy of encountering you in your presence. Lord, we love you this morning. We bless you. Be glorified in us. In Jesus' name, amen.